Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the Marketing Minds at DConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. Episode number 54. And of course, Becca's here this week. Hi. Becca's in her house. Yeah. yeah. New yeah. office, new house, new internet connection. Woohoo. Everything's great. <laughs> <laughs> How's the new internet connection life? Because you were on like, I can't even say it out there in the in the world to hear, but you were not very quick before and now you're with what would be normal. Is it, so it life changing? When your regular internet upload speed is 0.35 normally. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like oh my. I just feel like things are so easy now because I click the upload button and they're uploaded faster than I can think about it. <laughs> it's amazing. So nice. And- Last week, we got an update from Andrew on the house. You are now moved in. So is there anything that you want to talk about or share in relationship? I think the last time on the podcast, any of the people heard you were like 30 days out from closing. Oh, anything yeah. Anything interesting happened in that last few days? No, it was definitely not interesting, which Good. was the coolest part. That's what you want, I think. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. How about yeah, after every, moving in? Yeah. Um, we had our 30-day walk, which I guess they do that before you hit the 30 days. It's a little early, I think, but that went smoothly too. There were like three or four things on there. It's awesome. easy. They did a good yeah. job. Yeah. And are they um, correcting those things? Are they things to yeah. correct or are they just, okay, cool. Yeah. There's a couple of things to correct. A couple of them were paint places that we missed and then some drywall stuff that'll get done at the year. And then the big thing is our automated like door lock system because we have the automated mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. We, you can lock the door from the app, but you cannot unlock the door and oh, the keypad yes. doesn't work. So um, they're working on that. I think that unlocking thing was always, um, I remember, I forgot what brand I had, the August door lock. Mm-hmm. It was always this weird thing where it didn't, it really wasn't supposed to. This was back before oh. we sold our old house because then you could technically like yell through the, the window if Alexa could hear you. Alexa, unlock the front door, right? Oh yeah. Oh, oh so here's a, the it, funny part. <clears throat> The home automation guys came to set up the home automation and I was not home and my husband was home. So the um, Echo and the Echo Dot are still in their packages. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Didn't get that done. Oh, man. Of course. Like anything else, the, the hardest thing is is not getting the smart stuff in the house. It's just setting it all up and making it talk to each other. It's gotten way better, but it still is oh, the yeah. hardest part for sure. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. Well, that's uh, that's house update for, for this week then. We'll move on on to story time and I'll get started by saying that I'm I'm a little bit nervous or unsure I guess is maybe a better word. I'm not I'm not nervous about talking that's never been a challenge but I am a little bit of unsure how this talk that I'm one of the talks I'm going to give next week in San Francisco is going to go. Uh, we're Mike Jen and I are doing a 1 hour session at PCBC on the top 6 tech tips for home builders and, and online sales and marketing but I'm also the day before talking at the 40 under 40 conference and I thought I don't know who the audience will necessarily be made up of in terms of marketers, owners. It's usually a very eclectic group of people from all around the industry, different positions. So I can't go in there with just a marketing talk. And so I'm doing something a little bit different. Mike and Jen are like, can we watch you from the back? And I'm guessing they're like trying not to (laughs) laugh or... Just it, I'm going to start out by telling everyone in the room that they're officially part of the old crowd. Like you're old, whether you want to admit it or not. So Man, you know, you, you've won this award of being 40 under 40, but that basically means you're you're almost halfway through your career and you've reached this pinnacle of becoming a 40 under 40 winner. And now potentially for a lot of the people in the room, it's kind of downhill from this point forward. Like you don't want to become that fumbling boss from the office who doesn't really know what's going on, is out of touch. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you still have a lot of value to pass on. And so it's going to be interesting to see how everyone reacts to it. It'll be interesting. But it's, it has also been fun to just plan a talk that has nothing to do with pay-per-click, conversions, AI, any of that at all. So we'll let you know how that goes. That will be fun. Yeah, that is quite different yeah. for you. Yeah, not yeah. not nerdy, tech-focused, marketing-focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be yep. fun. Channeling my inner Elena money. There you go. <laughs> 
There you go. <laughs> For those of you who know. Awesome. So that that kind of segue. So you're like 40 under 40. And this week, I, I think I, I'm sure I could talk about this. We've we've been I've been interviewing mm-hmm. or I guess this past yeah. week, interviewing different people. And I feel like it's I've been doing marketing for 10 years. Um, for a bit. I feel like I kind of know what I'm, I'm talking about, I think, in regards to the scope of work that that I focus on. And so it's interesting talking to different people, and it was very quick, like, okay, this is not a fit. Um, this is not a fit, this is not a fit. You know, multiple factors, of course, but it just made me think about like, oh, what does someone who's maybe do they need to be good at? Because there's Facebook, there's Google, there's analytics, there's all the in-person on-site stuff that can distract you from that. And I say distract because that you know, obviously I'm biased because I'm like, oh, digital marketing is everything, of course. But it's <laughs> it's a big question, I think, because if you get too generalized, you might not be able to progress, right? And you, you all could help me out with this one. Like you, you like if I could say you're wanting to go in the more digital realm or VP of digital marketing or, or whatever title or just going mm-hmm. and getting better on the digital side. But if you're only spending 30% of your time or 20% or something like that, it's just no way to compete with those who are 80% of their time on digital marketing. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find mm-hmm. an end thought here, but I'm just like, man, it's so it was so clear when people were either all in on yep. digital marketing. That's what they do. Just they could talk about it. There was no, I feel like it's easy to pick up, especially when you talk about specific things like, hey, what's your favorite thing to do? Facebook or Google? And you could kind of set up this question to gauge like, are they a more technical person? Are they not saying Facebook is easy, but it's definitely less nuanced. Than, than the Google ads where you could do it completely wrong and it could be terrible versus Facebook. If you do it generally good, it's it's going to somewhat work and not fail miserably. Um, but it was, it was just, I was When surprised. I think about having conversations with people or looking at their resumes, one of the things that sticks out to me, kind of like you're saying, of how, why is it that you just can tell very quickly if someone is going to be a good fit or not? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I if, I, if I reverse engineer the interactions a little bit, to me, it's how well they connect what they're doing to the needs of the business. Business. Yeah. Like what does success look like? Because mm-hmm. you you talk to someone and they're like, oh yeah, I, I run all of the social accounts for you know XYZ company, maybe home builder, maybe not. But when you start talking to them about it, it's kind of like, well, I post three times a week and I comment back on stuff. And you know, if something cool happens, I throw it out there and it's like, well, that's so what? Like yeah, it's like a checklist. Just sound, yeah, you're just checking off a box or you're you're following a bunch of kind of random best practices, maybe that someone told you, but you don't understand how it connects to the rest of the business and and you don't have have any sense of how you measure your return on that time spent uh, or the value of your position at all. It's just like, again, a lot of times for smaller organizations in particular, they just feel like they need to have someone who does their social media, but it's a, it's a check the box kind of thing. And, and there's, there's places and people for that, that, that are out there. It's just not what we would ever be looking for on our end of someone who's just going to throw up content willy nilly and not be strategically minded as well as tactically minded. It's definitely like, Oh, you could like, if you're 20, I don't know, say you're two years into your career, two or three, like that could what you're doing then really affects five years from then. Um, you know, these things mm-hmm. I said out loud, I'm like, well, duh, like that's quite obvious. But if you're kind of like hanging out, not really pushing, pushing the envelope on, on what you're learning, it could, you know, like, oh, it's time for a new job. We're moving, whatever it is. Like that could be a very difficult thing, you know, interviews yeah. versus like just being like, cool, people love me. This is awesome because I've done things that people are, are looking for. I think in, in what we were looking for, we're looking for someone who is rather specialized in terms of primarily Google and Facebook. And, and those positions have been filled. However, we still are looking for people with home builder specific experience. If you're out there, continue to apply. But we, we, we do have two awesome folks who are joining the team here very shortly, in addition to Thais uh, from Lasso ECI. But we're looking for something rather specific. There is certainly a place for someone, you know, a really small business is looking for a jack of all trades. But that was the other thing sorting through a lot of resumes was someone who was just dumping out, you know, I do 50 things and you you just know based on experience that like, well, then you either are terrible at most of them or all of them. Yeah. Just, just because you've been doing them doesn't really mean anything. So Mm -hmm. that was the other thing you could raise your pretty quickly of someone who is like, I am proficient and specialized in digital marketing as a whole, but all I'm really putting on my resume is these three or four things that really matter versus listing out. I use Twitter once I use Pinterest once, so, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like just one time. Yeah. yeah. Becca, what about you? Story time. So this week, um, I got to work with a couple of our very fun builders making sticky bars to help the homes that they're trying to sell that maybe or might be close to a birthday or have had a birthday oh, anyway. They, no birthdays. They want to get rid of them. And so they've got their regular 
regular social media going and just a little bump on the website where they're not able to put a special uh, promotion that, you know, they're offering for the home, but they don't have a way to just have it stick to the page. Mm -hmm. So we built a couple sticky bars. Listeners who are just joining us, this is their first ever episode. What, Uh, What do we mean by a sticky bar and what tool are you using to help build those out? Okay. So in Unbounce, they have a thing called a sticky bar, which is basically um, a box that sticks to either the top <laughs> or the bottom of the a page. A bar that sticks around, yeah. right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's tricky. And it's sticky. <laughs> yes. And you can put text and things on it to kind of convey like a pop-up that's not obnoxious and it just hangs out there it's like oh that's there that's nice and subtle versus like look at me you look you've been on site yeah Yeah. you're like ah i'm trying to see this house and this thing keeps popping up Mm. no yeah nice so yes it works kind of like a sticky but less or like a pop-up but less obnoxious and it's it's part of unbounce as you mentioned which is the tool that we recommend for landing pages if you're not using a a, a crm tool like hubspot or something a wordpress site that can do landing pages kind of natively. It's just a fantastic tool that we use. But a side benefit that a lot of people don't typically use is the ability to make sticky bars. And so you're making them for specific homes and were the these sticky bars then running throughout the site and different areas of the site? Were, how was it being determined when to show that sticky bar? For there the were specific listings that they wanted to show these particular promotions on only. Okay. So like okay. if you're in the whole neighborhood, you won't see it but there's maybe two three or four homes of the existing homes that they're like yeah um we've had this long enough it's time for got it, it. Go. i think i know who yeah. you're talking about so for extra context for everyone else again if you're running a special promotion or an incentive you might have put that in an ad and again most builders we work with yes. are not yet needing or using incentives but if, if you do need to use them in any instance you might put it in advertisement to draw interest and awareness but then when you get on your website you may not have an easy way to remind people that that exists or like you were saying Becca people are browsing around you may not want to scream from the rooftops that you have an incentive to everyone yeah only if you get to that specific home that has that incentive connected to it so yes there's lots of logic that you can build into these sticky bars including one of my favorites is just seeing where they came from so if you're using UTM codes you can run sticky bars and say I only want this to show up to people who come to my site from Facebook or Instagram or an email campaign specific things to again continue on on the messaging that started on the channel that they just came from. So sticky bars are awesome. They're they're a great tool. All right, moving great on tool. to the news. Now, did any of those houses sell or how long how long ago did you do this? Um, I did this two di- yesterday and uh, the day before. So awesome. Uh, so not yet. We'll yeah. check in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, One of my favorite things of using particular Facebook format that we use that, that highlights a number of inventory homes is getting the email from the builder partner that says, hey, uh, we need to swap out four of these six homes because they're gone now. It's like, yeah. I love yes, that too. Gone. That's the yes. point. And usually those were problem homes. Not that you should lead and add with right. problem homes, but usually like they, they get mixed in there with the good ones. So it's like, oh, even better. Like these are ones that have been difficult to sell. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly right. All right, moving to the news. We're going to lead off here with something that, funny enough, it was in my spam folder. And I was going through cleaning it out and I don't know why I even bought. Normally, I don't even look. I just clean all. But there is a, a spam email from a company called Get Door with one O. Uh, link in the show notes for you. And it caught my eye because of the headline, opened it up and I was like, huh, this may actually be something extremely useful. So what this what this tool is from Get Door is it's a, basically a lick and stick heat sensitive uh, traffic counter okay. for use in a retail environment. And what makes this so unique is it is completely wireless and it is basically, I'm calling it lick and stick. You peel off the back, you put it where you want it and it's battery operated for up to two years, they said. Wow. wow. And it will send the data uh, from the tracking to the cloud and then from there it can be exported to wherever you, you want. Hmm. And so there are other traffic counters out there, uh, wireless trip sensors or laser trip sensors, uh, camera operated systems, but this one could be the cleanest and simplest and also from a where to put the camera 
camera. One of the things that builders have a hard time with is they don't want their sales team or their construction team who is going in and out or having regular meetings. If you connect it to the front door or the sales office, you could get a lot of extra um, traffic kits, so to speak, in the system. Whereas this, basically, you just put it above any doorway that you want in the home. The the, The sensor faces down. And so you could put it, for instance, at the top of the steps on the second floor or going into the master bedroom or wherever in the home that people are likely not going to be going unless they're actually on a tour, secondary bedroom, you know, uh, down down the hallway on the second floor, that kind of idea. So I had a call with them today to find out more because, of course, I I saw it for the first time yesterday, just briefly mentioned it with someone on a call who has uh, 30, 40 model homes. And they were like, yes, let's do it. (laughs) When do we start? How much is this? And I was like, well, I set up a call because all they had was a landing page, of course. And so I had a call today to set up to get pricing. Unfortunately, more news to come. They were, quote unquote, not authorized to tell me pricing information at this time. But they did have, (laughs) I know, right? We had a 15 minute conversation to verify that the use case scenario would be a good one. And now I'm going to be put in touch with some. So we'll we'll vet it for you all. We'll, We'll keep you updated. But this one was, I think, newsworthy just in that a lot of builders still struggle with how do we track walk-in traffic? Should we track it at all? How do we compare that to what's in the CRM? How do we compare that to appointments that are scheduled? And, you know, digital registration can certainly help us out, but I still think builders, assuming this is an affordable solution, which I imagine it, it should be. I um, think so. This could, this could be a big help too. I would, I was on their site and it's like, you know, submit a quote. It's like number of retail locations. I'm like, I wonder which one Kevin picked on here because it gives you like, well, that's what I, like I was like, well, we work well, with some people who have a thousand model homes around the country and we work with some people who have four. So can you give me a range? Nope. Not authorized to speak about. You're like, I just told you about a thousand of these things. (laughs) Don't you want to sell it? Like something. Uh huh. Yeah. They look. Yeah. I'd imagine it connects. Um, like if you've set up a nest or Amazon cloud camera, like you just, maybe it's your phone, Bluetooth and a minute later it's connected and you're, you're on your way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This looks really cool. Yeah. Very, very, very simple. And again, no wires, no power source, no internet connection needed. So you can put it by model home wherever you think the right place is to count as accurately as possible the traffic and then it just pushes it all to the cloud in a great little dashboard for you nice and then i bet it could go to data studio you could sync it with analytics and all this stuff i bet i'm sure exactly Exactly. awesome if not right away soon oh yeah definitely after talking to kevin um there (laughs) this next one so i saw that this was interesting this is not builder related but it is facebook and instagram related um yeah crossfit i'm sure a lot of people not a lot maybe never heard of it 20 yeah what really (laughs) <laughs> you're in. I'm like, you're in Columbus. That's, I think, Rogue, who's on the big equipment. Uh-huh. Um, anyways, so CrossFit, it's, you know, they have the CrossFit Games. They're every summer. It's the it's like the newest, although it's not new anymore, like workout, fitness, culture, cult type thing, right? So mm-hmm. there's all these gyms around. They pay a licensing fee for the name, all this stuff. Well, they, this week, deleted their Facebook and Instagram. I'm like, oh, this is weird. And like, huh. they have their, you know, CrossFit celebrities, which they typically have like one to like three million followers. So they're, uh-huh. and they're not like like small, small time accounts. And, you know, one of them put up like, where did it go? And they said Thanos and they put the little snap thing. I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> where they talked about CrossFit deleting everything. I'm like, well, what is this? And CrossFit was silent, except they were on it. They were on Twitter. So they moved to Twitter. So then they talked to barben.com. I don't know the site, but I was just researching, like, there's gotta be some news on this. They talked to barben, which I guess is a CrossFit news, you know, aggregate or something like that. And they interviewed the person who founded CrossFit and he was just tired of Facebook privacy stuff and Facebook made a decision to delete some group that they owned, all this other stuff. So like, we're just done with it. I'm like, well, that's not a big deal. Like, but then I looked up their stats. They had 3 million followers on, on Instagram and then over 10 million on Facebook. I'm like, that's, wow, that's a little crazy. Like that's they could, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. They could on yeah. Facebook, like, and they make a lot of money through like the, the games and then they go in and you could do like it pretty much like it, they call it the open, but in an, a internet weightlifting CrossFit competition, you pay like, I don't know, 50 bucks or something like that. So they have a lot of revenue because there's a lot of Instagram. Instagram and Facebook focus. Like it's not just local. Like there's, you know, the internet activity for CrossFit is is crazy. I'm like, who would do that? Like they just have this vendetta. They're upset with Facebook. And so they decided to delete it. But it was what I, I brought it up today because I'm like, I think this is the first bigger account to just get rid of it, get rid of Facebook, get rid of Instagram. Definitely 
the one of the first ones that I've heard of. I, I do remember hearing something about another organization that they were going off of Facebook, but on Instagram, which again makes us all laugh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, same thing. What, what is the point of that? I know individuals, again, in our circle who are in the same boat where they're off of Facebook but still on Instagram. Um, we'll, we'll get to this, but I also just sent you guys a quick screenshot of my, I'm looking that. at this article and I'm being remarketed by Door uh, <laughs> currently looking at this site, which cracks me up because all I need from you right now is not to be remarketed telling me how great it's you are. What price. I need is a price point so that I can do business <laughs> with you or recommend others do business with you. It just cracked me up. But get, getting back to, um, getting back to the article, it sounds like most, a lot of people have like this altruistic motive for making the, the change. Mm-hmm. It sounds like someone just got really mad and they referenced this one particular Facebook group that got deleted, then reinstated, then deleted. Yeah. Uh, again, a seven day meal plan where everyone was sharing their results and accountability group. I don't know, but they like listen to this. This was, they had uh, a 1.65 million people in this Facebook group. That's a lot of people. Wow. In the group. That's insane. <laughs> and so yeah. it was, it was kind of being deleted without explanation and reinstated. And so I don't know. I'm, I'm of course a little bit skeptical always when I see stuff like this, but I think they're just, they're trying to one, join the headline of privacy concerns, which mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. saying that they are, are a good company that you should handle with privacy. But I do believe what Mark has consistently said is you're putting it on our platform in a public square environment. Most of the time, I mean, very few people that I know are choosing, you know, only let myself see this when they put something on Facebook. Correct. So I think it's a lot of it is they're trying to appeal to an audience that maybe a lot of their CrossFit users are leaning that direction. And they're also just trying to get Facebook's attention. Like you better create some special rule or exemption from this stuff because you're impacting our business and we'll take our business elsewhere. But at the end of the day, we're going to go to Twitter. I mean, do you guys think yeah. going to Twitter <laughs> only is a viable alternative? No, not at all. Not at all. I just, no. um, so the hashtag on Instagram, of course, you know, people can just spam any hashtag hashtag they want, but the hashtag CrossFit for this reference has 47 million posts. I'm like, that's okay. Hmm. Like they're heavy on there. I don't, let's see if Twitter could have, I don't know if Twitter gives those type of numbers. I just did the tweet for CrossFit as far as looking at the comparable, like which one is more popular. I know it's huge on, it's huge on, on Instagram. Like it's, yeah, that's what it is. And I think the other reason I'm skeptical is because when you read the article, they didn't delete the accounts, they suspended them, which means they can put them back on whenever they want. So they didn't like go full on a nuclear and just undo and unsubscribe Nuclear. everyone and turn they've gone dark for gone a certain dark. period of time it's right it was funny i'm like this is weird this yeah, is crazy. who would do going that going for attention attention mm-hmm. yeah though yeah i think so yeah. and and maybe again to attention to get facebook to stop deleting their million their stuff person facebook group <laughs> yeah which i'm sure is disruptive so i that that again goes back to like that facebook group should have probably had a strategy of let's have this as an entry point but also why do we not have a copy of your membership somehow translate over to our own site so that if mm-hmm. this facebook group goes down, you're not screwed. Like if we didn't have doyouconvert.com and we just had the market proof marketing Facebook group, that'd be really dumb. That would be. Yep. And how do you even yes. interact in at one point, whatever size right? group? Like there'd be it's, so many it's posts just per to day, show you know, off your pictures of what yeah. you didn't eat or did eat. That's all it is. It's a <laughs> here's, ego. Focus. Here's my Brussels sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe, ha- maybe we got listeners who are in that group. Maybe. Most Let us know. 1.65 million. Yeah. Um, oh goodness. Moving on to, uh, to this is an, this is an update. This has been around for a while. Wow, and somehow, apologies, we've just missed it in the news. But NAR, gosh, uh, I think at the end of March, there was a lawsuit filed against NAR, uh, an antitrust lawsuit, essentially saying, hey, you are re- you're essentially requiring people to pay for the buyer's agent as the seller. And, and we're just kind of customarily, this is we're paying 3%. And they're basically saying that uh, this is an inflated amount in violation of federal antitrust law. The consp- conspiracy has saddled home sellers with a cost that would be borne by the buyer in any other competitive market. And they are, that is, that is rather true. This this is a unique instance where the seller has all of the costs in terms of representation. Mm-hmm. They're paying their uh, it, agreed upon commission to their seller or the person mm-hmm. listing their home. And then they have to pay the buyer. Three yeah, instead well, of that, that seller going on and using their proceeds to pay the, pay the buyer's agent, you're paying them directly as well. Like you're not, it's not, you pay us six and then we'll give some other percent to the buyer's agent. It's like, you're going to, on the closing, your money's going here and money's going there. Yep. I've seen buyer representation agreements where they've said, if for some reason the seller refuses to pay my share of my fee, then you'd be mm-hmm. responsible for, as the buyer, for that fee. Yeah. 
I, I I've seen that as well. Um, and you know, the, the update here on the news is that NAR is of course trying to get this dismissed and say that it, it shouldn't move forward, which is to be expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think everyone thought this is probably what's going to happen, but they're, they're saying basically some really smart people have looked at how this business is done and are, and are trying to manipulate or use extreme cases that aren't necessarily the norm to create a, a, a class action antitrust scenario. But to be clear, this has gotten a ton of buzz around home building and in, in Inman News and other places simply because the people who are doing this and the representation, like these guys are serious. They are, this is not just a willing, like one person got upset who is, is not connected to uh, anyone who's, who's successfully won lawsuits before. It, it's not just a, a headline. This is uh, something that, that everyone is paying attention to and could, depending on how this goes, could be dramatic in its impact on how homes are bought and sold that would as be. dramatic or more dramatic than I buyers themselves. So it's hard to find something to unbiased info on. on this. Oh my gosh. Like well, it's like yeah. impossible. Like I'm trying to sort <laughs> yeah. through it because in, in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, you know, this, what seems fair, quote fair, not that that's correct, but it's like, well, I, I don't know. Like, would you ever use a buyer's agent? If you're like, I'm going to pay you, you buy a home for, let's do easy numbers, uh, 300,000 and you pay 3%. So you're, that's nine, 9,000, right? 1% is three. Like I'm going to pay you $9,000 to help me buy this house. I don't think people are like, oh, what am I really going to do that? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, and the higher it sells, the more you're going to pay me. Um, I don't know. That will definitely change the buyers thing. But you talk well, to a lot of people. It's I like, think- I found my home that I told my realtor I want it. They helped me through the yeah. negotiation process. I think probably most people are using realtors not to find their new house, but to help them negotiate and navigate through the process of all the paperwork. Right. Because that stuff can get tricky and it's good to have a helping hand during that. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, where the value sure. lies. And it's really whatever you negotiate with your realtor. And that's and that I think your last point is where this lawsuit comes in is that people don't feel like there is or has or at least not people. <laughs> the <laughs> folks bringing this lawsuit feel like there there has not been a legitimate transparentness to the fact of how this works and that it is all negotiable. It's kind of like well, this is just how it, how it is. You know, you, you pay yeah. him, you pay me and um and this is how we do it. And the reason Andrew you're so hard to find unbiased perspective is and I I had heard this before but it, I was re-reminded of it doing research here is that that, you know, NAR is the largest trade association in the country, over 1.2 million members. That's a lot. Uh, they yeah. are the largest or the second largest lobbying organization in Washington, I believe I saw as well. So they're, they're a big voice out there. For and sure. there's obviously with 1.2 million members, there's lots of, of perspectives on it. And I, again, I think I've mentioned before, I've had my own interesting interactions with, with real estate agents and brokers on Twitter is one place that I just, if I put anything out there, they're going to, they're going to make sure. Oh yeah. That, that's what. <laughs> But yeah, that's what I mean. Like all the Inman stuff. I'm like, I see what that one said, but like most of, and no one's talking about the customer, like the buyer. Like it's all about like my commission. But at the end of the day, you know, the Peak family used a realtor on both we sides did. of of your transaction, right? Yeah. So for the first, yeah, I don't know. Moving forward, now that I'm experienced, I'll be like, why? I don't, I don't think so anymore. And you're connected to the industry, and and you have people that you talk yeah. to. Submit so that might be how you feel. But again, you think about the average person who might have that reaction after the first time they they do this, mm-hmm. but then they don't buy or sell another home for 10 years Correct. later and they're like, uh, you know, maybe something's changed. Maybe it's different. Yeah. It's still scary. And then they, they do it again. They do it again. And I think, you know, at least way back in the day when I was a realtor, we were always very careful never to say 6% is standard because it's not. It's whatever you negotiate with your client mm. and you guys got to come together on a value that they attribute to your services and that you attribute to your services. See, here we go again. Uh, partying with Snoop Dogg sailing around the world and I did homes. not know for some I reason that I forgot that you were a real estate <laughs> this agent. This is just a tip well. of the iceberg. I was iceberg. the worst real estate agent. I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Do okay. you, how many homes did you sell? Can I ask that or is that too? That's oh, too much. that's, is that bad? No, you can ask it, but I can ask that. You can ask it. Oh, two. <laughs> two? Okay, there you go. <laughs> Hey, you sold you sold a hundred percent more than the average agent does. I think that's uh, really that's awesome. Yeah, in a year, the average agent sells like one home or, or none. That's crazy. Or yeah. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. That is fun. Then they'll put it on your hey, signature. Retired. This is, real estate uh, agent. No. <laughs> 
this is uh, not technically a news article, but I, it's kind of a little mini celebration. But Data Studio can, in fact, do it all. So again, nothing to link to, nothing to read. But we we've just continued to make tremendous progress on getting anything you can think of from almost any source into Data Studio. And even uh, at times, there's there's well, more, we'll have more on this later, I guess. Uh, to be able to merge data sources within Data Studio, which I've figured out how to do wasting an hour of my life it's it's, it's fun just, once it's, you it's magical once you figure out like the what's the um database word the joiner the joiner yeah the metric between that connects the tables i'm like how do mm-hmm. i do that i know it's here yeah i talked to the builder earlier like we're totally pivoting on this special project that i'm, I'm doing with him and it's going to be like oh this is what we really need it took a little bit to get to that um mm-hmm. but he's like we could do that i'm like yeah so he's like let me send you a picture of this thing i do all the time on my piece on this notebook yeah i'm like yeah we could yep. do that all day long and you could change the date on it. Oh, I need that. I'm like, okay, let's get it done. <laughs> it is a fantastic tool. Even if you use a tool like HubSpot or uh, uh, other places that have their own internal dashboards, they're all garbage in comparison to the one that you will make your own, uh, m- make on your own that shows you exactly what you need to see. And again, HubSpot in particular is on my um, bad list in the sense of all of the dashboards and reports that they show you within the tool are just one metric. And so you're like, okay, great. That's where my traffic came yeah, from. That's useful. And then if you want to see conversions, you got to go to a different graph or chart that just shows you oh. conversions, but doesn't show you the chart, just shows you the landing page they converted mm. on. Ugh, it's, yeah. it's terrible. I feel like you Data Studio is a tool, like you could have help with it. Like, I think, I don't know if it's on the, on the site or not, like the, like any base templates, but you really need to get in mm-hmm. there yourself, yeah. commit some amount of time to it to just dork around in there. And then you'll, your mind will be yeah. like, oh, I get it. I could do this type of stuff. And so when you're like, hey, we need to solve this problem. If you're in a meeting, like, hey, we need to know this and this and this yeah. from that experience of doing it you're like oh i could totally do that versus just like i think we can i have no idea it didn't even come to mind we do have a template on the site if you if you search for it you will find it we can put it in the show notes as well and with thais's help as she joins the team we'll definitely be putting more resources out there to help self-help but circling back around to your story time and what does a marketer need to to have in their bag of tricks i, I do think being able to to use data studio is is a big part of that yeah moving forward definitely yeah. all right we're going to take a quick break and we come back Mike Lyon, our first time ever Be Back guest on the program, is going to join us to talk about resale chaos uh, closer to home. So taking that idea we had a couple episodes ago of just how much movement there is in real estate and how Mike, uh, again, just used Facebook and Zillow to to sell his home in 10, 11 days. Uh, He's going to give us more insight into all the specifics, though, and how that that happened. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. Here we are with our first time ever two-time guest. Mike, you're the first one to join us. <laughs> Thank you. My time. my yes, my publicist has been working hard trying to get me on the show twice, so that's good. I'm glad I was able to uh be with you today, Kevin. Congratulations. We'll get you yeah. your participation <laughs> trophy in the mail. <laughs> hey, before we get going first, I just I really this has been weighing on me a little bit because I need to uphold the journalistic integrity of this fine news organization. Hmm, okay. And uh, you misreported some facts last time when you were talking about selling homes on the side. So I think I need to set some of those straight. Let's do it. Okay. Let's, go right, so, let's get right to it. Yeah. Well, welcome get... to the 360 topic, resale chaos close to home. Mike Lyon, <laughs> take it away. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's that's fancy. Okay. So um, the great thing about the, the Lion home sale was that I have obviously the brilliant team at Do You Convert behind me. So that helped everything. But what's interesting is... It, it, the performance compared to the other homes. So I think you said it was it was three to one on the other home outperforming. I've got mm-hmm. the stats pulled up here just from Zillow. This was a this was absolutely amazing. It blew my mind. So when we talk about um, you know number of saves and things like that, I think that's kind of like an indicator yep. on how the, ha- the home is doing. In eleven yeah. days, you know the time it took for us to post and then sell three thousand eight hundred forty three views, one hundred and eighty five saves. So that right Ooh. there is mind blowing, but compared to another home in our neighborhood with a pool priced 2000 less than 
than ours, but similar in size and everything else. They have, I'm pulling it up right now. Let's see where they're at. In 19 days, they're still on. They have 947 views and 51 saves. What's really interesting about that is they're in your neighborhood. So you would assume a lot of those 3,000 people who looked at your house would yeah. have zoomed back out, you know, moused over, clicked over and said, what else is in the area? Might as well look at those. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting is just first the attraction. And then once they're there, okay, of these thousand people, only 51 have saved it. So I think that lends itself a little bit to both the home. And we can talk more about what else goosed this because it wasn't just the advertising that goosed it, but it definitely poured some fuel on the fire for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was absolutely amazing. Okay, now back to the Facebook statistics. I don't know if you guys even talked about this, but I took a screenshot right when it when it sold. 19,000 uh-huh. people reached, 12,000 engagement, 164 little likes, hearts, wows, 81 comments uh-huh. and 33 shares for uh, what, 111 Ooh. bucks? How much did you guys spend? Yeah, that's about right. And again, when you talk about the difference between the view count of the other house in your neighborhood and yours, that's where certainly the, the front photo could have pulled more people in. But I still think that the majority of that is likely the delta of, you know, the initial attraction factor of coming in from Facebook or Instagram, landing on your house. And then what still is, as you're reading that out, it's like, okay, they saw your house, but then you would think they would zoom out, look at the other one. Or if they started on Zillow, then that's where, again, the the photography and the other things that you did to make your house stand out could have pulled more people in. But I mean, your own experience, my own experience is that if you're on Zillow, you're a free clicker. Like you'll click on anything just to check it out once. You know, if it doesn't, how the icons change color, if you've already viewed that home before, it's like, I'm completely promiscuous here. I'll check out any home in the conceivable area or near the price point. So that's that view count. The saved count has a lot to do with the content that you put on the site and and the overall. But the view count, I think, also just shows the power of using social media as that initial uh, bait on the hook as we talk about the home buyer nibbling. And so, Kevin, since we know everything and we're paying attention to this hyper focused on our own home, because I think that's that that helps, you know, get that moving. Well, you were commenting back on all those comments, which makes more comments appear and it's a you know it's a snowball effect yes so that's definitely something that do you, you i haven't told you this yet do you want to know how the the home sold do you want to know how the person found it who, oh, who yeah. bought the home so this is the big one well my, here like can i guess can i guess yeah i'll let you guess um shoot you know what i think i know and my initial guess would have been that someone else found it online and told the realtor to connect you but i have a feeling that 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 there's more to it okay so we're sitting there when we're done we're writing the contract at the table we finish up and the wife goes how do you know Paige and Corey and my wife look across and like Paige what are you, you go Paige Millspot <laughs> and she goes yeah Paige Millspot that's how we found the house she shared it on Facebook and I saw it and showed it to Kelly her husband and uh-huh. that's and I was like oh my gosh this is crazy so Corey you know our, our thought process was everybody talks about how much they want to buy this home when we sell it so she uh, strategically texted her friends and said could you pretty please with sugar on top I don't ask this a lot yeah. could you share this home mm-hmm. and that's how the buyer found it was seeing it on Facebook, going to Zillow and then taking action from there. So it blew our mind. It was exciting. I mean, that was that was just fun to hear, especially since it's the Millspas. They're good friends of ours. So kudos to Paige and Joe Millspa. Exactly. I hope you took care of them. But they that, that ties right into the pre-sale psychology of opening a community because right. some people, the more skeptical would say, well, then why even bother spending the 111 bucks? Or, you know, you could have skimped and not sent your photos to Box Brownie and all the rest, which we'll talk more about. But I mean, at the end of the day, it was your own network. So all the other stuff could have not been done, to which I would vehemently disagree with because when your friends who were connected to Paige right. saw the house, if there were only two people who had favorited the home and if there was not other activity on that shared post, then the excitement level, the urgency would not potentially have been there to move as quickly as they did. And you ended up having multiple offers. So those people may have lost out truly. Yeah. As well. Hey, let's talk, let's talk about that before we get into some more nitty gritty on the numbers because I think it's the fun to look at all in numbers because I've got that down. Um, yeah. So here's the here's the details on the actual home. Multiple offers. We politely told realtors that we are not working with them right now. It's not on the MLS. We didn't post it on the MLS. Um, we <gasps> we so I know. Hang on. We we have a reason why we did that. And then we um you know selling in ten days obviously, but the highest price per square foot in the neighborhood. That's the other mm-hmm. mind blowing one. It's not like we were like deep discounting this home. We just priced it right. And I think I think. 
think that's interesting to look at. This is on, you know, the, the fact that it happened on t- and the sale was great and beneficial for both parties. That's exciting stuff. So, you know, th- what, yeah. what drew a lot of people to the home obviously was the land, a little bit larger corner lot back in a semi cul-de-sac. It has 40 acres of nothing backing up to it. It has a pool and a hot tub. All those things draw people in. But at the end of the day, they're sure. still not going to pay more than it's worth, right? No. And and again, the excitement snowballs on itself mm-hmm. and the fact that whoever that person was who ended up buying it could watch on Zillow because you know they do. Just like oh, on a yeah. home builder's website where people watch the home sites, what's sold, what's available. You know, They're constantly refreshing that page. I've told the story about when I was looking at land here in Columbus trying to move back to Pittsburgh, I was refreshing right. that home site like five times a day, sure that someone was going to take what I wanted. So you know they're doing the same thing on Zillow. They're like, oh my gosh, yesterday there was set 80 people who had favorited it. Now there's 100. Honey, now there's 120. That's right. Oh my gosh. That's right. It's all it's all leading up into building that urgency, very similar to the pre-sale process for, for a new community. So I think that is that is awesome. And at the end of the day, let's let's zoom back and kind of start over from the beginning. How many homes have you bought and sold over the last 15 years, Mike? Oh, geez. Uh, uh, your own homes, not the builders you've worked for, but your own homes. Oh, Quick guess. Bought and sold, uh, 15 ish Okay, so about one a year on average as of a personal. Now you invest in homes right, and, and have right. rental property. Uh-huh. And, yeah. So I guess the point for there for that is for the real estate agents who are listening, who are getting really upset with us right oh, now. Yeah, this isn't no. going to be everyone's this isn't going to be everyone's preference or experience either. Well, and let, you, and you had a comfort level. Absolutely. I, I really do want to make a disclaimer there. I think a real estate agent is completely necessary in the transaction for most people to have buyer and seller representation, to have all the coverage that comes along with it. My situation is completely unique. I know, understand and know the contract. I know how to market and sell the home. And if the other person on the end is willing to, and has that experience, which our buyers did, this is nothing Mm -hmm. new. It was a standard boilerplate OREC contract. It's fine. Right. And I have a title company that's closed a million times with us too. So yeah, you're you're very comfortable with it. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Some of the online salespeople that we work with sent in additional questions that we're going to do rapid fire. Okay. So did you, did you set up a call rail number? Absolutely. Okay. So what was your missed call rate? Oh, geez. (laughs) I, I know, uh, Corey, I know. we're definitely going <laughs> to Corey managed the calls. So I'll have to, I'm not going to, I, I, uh, no comment. <laughs> she answered yeah, all. We're going to have to check that yeah. missed call, right? <laughs> right. Uh, how, how, how often was someone texting versus calling any sense or how did that, how'd that work out? Oh, you know what? It, honestly, it wasn't that much because she would tell me if there were text messages coming through. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really wasn't, it wasn't a noticeable number. If there were 10 calls, okay. there may have been two texts. Were there any chat bots involved? There was, <laughs> Is my, my, my wife is a chat bot. No, there was, there was nothing going on. She's a chat on. ninja. Yeah, right. She's a chat ninja, not a chat bot. Uh, let's talk about preparation. So how, how long did you spend prepping for, oh. for this before you put the house on the market? Oh my gosh. This, this is how the lions roll. Just so you know, we're sitting there. We've always been kind of looking. Kevin knows this thing. My wife wants to move every two years. I've made her hang on for seven. So I felt good about that. But we literally decided on a Tuesday, let's put the home on the market. We had the photos done by Friday and it was on Zillow by Sunday. So wow. we just move quick and we don't, we don't mess around and my wife can clean the house and stage it how she wants, but it was a very quick decision. Sure. And our thought process was we will see it's May. Let's get it going in May hot market. It's the magic uh-huh. window. And if it doesn't sell for what we want, we won't move. We didn't care. We didn't have anywhere to go. We weren't buying a house. We were just going to rent if we needed to. So it was kind of like our sales price or nothing. And so that's what yeah. got us going. Now what it cost to get going was $300 for a photo photographer. That was a little bit higher, but she did good work. Um, mm-hmm. What do I have down here? Uh, $90 sign, metal sign. I didn't even need the sign. I shouldn't have even bought that thing. Um, $51 <laughs> inbox brownie edits. And then the $111 okay. or whatever you guys spent in Facebook ads, that totals up to like five fifty dollars in total marketing and dollars. What, what would have been just 3% of the real estate commission? Oh, uh, well, 6%, 3% of, real, of $569. So whatever that math is, we can ask Siri. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> Got it. And and on the box brownie photos, did you do that uh, select number of, of images? No, no. Talk to me just no. about. I, I uploaded them all. I'm just like, make them all pretty. Okay. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, does this make you, does this going through this process and how easy and yet quasi difficult, we're not going to talk about, uh, you know, obviously human beings are right. the part that make things difficult mm-hmm. in the process in terms of once you get those buyers, multiple offers, the hiccups that can come from that. And, and again, that's why a lot of people would enjoy having professional representation, but going through all this, does it make you think any differently than you did before this experience about how I buyers Zillow offers these kind of online push the button, sell your house or push the button, buy your house programs? 
systems? Does it make you feel like they're any more viable, less viable, excited, less excited? Just any thoughts around that? Yeah, that's kind of a layered question. So I'll give you kind of a two-parter mm-hmm. response. So I think selling your home is going to become easier and easier. However, and what I've heard from other real estate agents as I've talked about this process is the the comfort level of buying without representation is still not there. Right. People know how to search and find, no problem. But the buying, the contracting, you know, that's the complicated part that people are like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And, you know, is this right? Is it not? Inspections, everything, TRRs, the stuff that has to go along with this. So until they make that part of the process easier, just like they do with Rocket Mortgage and everywhere else where it's like, you know, click here, get a mortgage. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's going to change the landscape from a buying perspective. But from a selling perspective, yeah, it's easier than ever to take good photos. Get, I mean, come on, the Zillow app has the 3D tour that you can do from your phone. They basically displaced Matterport and they let you do it for free. Uh, That stuff Mm -hmm. didn't exist, you know, just a year and a half ago. So yeah, I completely agree. I think it's smart. Obviously, it's the right process regardless, but it's especially smart to start with on Zillow's end buying the houses and making that big push of push the button, sell your house, because that is the easier, less risky of, well, I'll get the number. And if I want to do it, I will. I think you're right. It'll take a longer runway and it'll be this similar to you. People like yourself or myself who feel comfortable pushing the button, you know, doing the due diligence, understanding the value right. and, and want the simplicity of just being able to push the button and buying the home or pushing the button to go to tour. But I think that's where the, and even Rich Barton, the CEO of Zillow himself said, he doesn't believe that iBuyers uh, will end up being more than 25% of the marketplace. Well, yeah. And, I, at, and here's what's interesting to think about, not to oversimplify it, it truly is trading in your car. I mean, it's trading in your mm-hmm. home. So when you trade in a car, you know, yep. you're going to get dinged on if you sold it on your own or took a little bit of time, yep. but they get you on like, hey, it's just a payment swap and you know we'll take care of it. Like that ease, I think people want it in a home. I think there's a lot of other comp- complex factors. That's what they're trying to get to. For the people who go, no, yep. I can sell my home for more money than trading it into Zillow. We're going to choose to sell our home for more money. All right, let's wrap it up. People are going to want to know, are, are the lions now homeless? So talk to me <laughs> about how the search process is going. And, and in particular, what avenues, apps, tools, sites have you guys been using to find the next forever home for two years? Okay, so here's real life from the lion bedroom. Be, well, living room. Sorry. Whoa, sorry. No, let's, yeah, let's, stay out, let's stay out of the bedroom. Lion, the lion living room. So we, we, we co-browse on Zillow and we heart the things that we like or kind of like. We set our search parameters because we are very specific on where we want to move. It's like not even a quarter mile area. Um, and then we'll, when we want to look at it all together, we'll just pull up the Zillow app on Apple TV and it's fun to like kind of scroll through the pictures. No, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of how we search and we're addicted. I mean, probably spend about a good 15 to 20 minutes every single day on Zillow. And that's how, that's how we've been searching in combination with kind of what we're looking for is driving around just to see if there's anything that we've missed because it is a uh, transitional area of town. So meaning there's some brand new construction, there's some really old homes, there's some old homes that have been rehabbed and it, yep. you know it's kind of that target so that's how we've been searching and i think that's right in in line with how the vast majority of people are searching and what's again interesting to hear you say is you're on zillow and yet you're still getting in a car and driving around absolutely or for a lot of people it's i'm still looking at realtor.com or i'm still looking at buzz buzz home or some of these other places just because that's the level of, of obsession that home shoppers have is maybe there's that one listing that hasn't made its way to zillow is still a pocket listing on a separate real estate agent's site only or, you know, got to get in the car because it might just be a custom builder who doesn't know how to spell Zillow yet and they just have a sign in the yard. And so we're all still that obsessed when we're in that shopping mode yeah. that even the number one real estate platform is not going to be enough Absol- to satisfy Yeah, us. absolutely not. And the co- like Corey's looked at two coming soons. So she, mm-hmm. it's the signs in the yard. It says coming soon. She's calling the realtor and getting a preview while they're shooting pictures for the home. I mean, we are straight right. up Navy SEAL surgical when it comes <laughs> into... Uh, you know, going into home, we can walk. There's times where I've gotten out of the car, stood on the side of my bumper on my truck, getting down and go, this is, no, I don't even need to go inside this house. I don't like mm-hmm. the area. I don't like how close it is to the street. That garage is too small. I can tell from the, you know, we walk up and, and of course like, well, we're here already. Let's just go look, you know? So, I mean, we probably looked at over the past two and a half years, 25 homes and put in uh four offers, I think was the number Corey counted. Wow. So we, we 
know how to do it and we know that not everybody's going to say yes to our offers. Here's the funny thing, Kevin, of the four offers that we put in, three of them were accepted at a later date at a lower offer than what we put in. So we know what the price should be. Wow. Um, uh-huh. But not, every, really not everybody agrees with that. So, uh, but that's how we've yeah. searched. Now here's, I'm going to throw another one, a little curveball. Maybe this is a little rabbit trail, but it took this process for me to understand this. So again, we're looking for either a potential rehab fixer upper that's going to be really nice or um, we didn't really know it, but looking at what new construction could do. The challenge was new construction was, you know, an easy 10 to 15% higher in these areas than a rehab yeah. and fixed up home. However, when I did my Excel spreadsheet and looked at the math and the cost of ownership, the cost of ownership was almost half monthly on on, on, on the difference. I mean, it was amazing. It was like a, I forget what it was. 10% higher is like a 75% less monthly cost per ownership on the in, difference. In terms of cash flow, yeah, just exactly. what, what would be out of pocket every month. Yeah. Yeah. Just absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's really, it's a huge, it's a huge difference. The difference of almost a thousand dollars, even though you're paying more for the home. And so mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that the difference in price, you know, just to clarify, it's, that's what a lot of times we forget in the new home side is like, Hey, the cost might, might be, I mean, the price might be higher. You know, the price of purchasing this home might yep. be higher. The overall cost of ownership is substantially lower, especially on old. I mean, these old homes are ni- built in 1929. So yep. they're going to be breaking well, all this the time. Is a, this is uh, an admission of how dumb I can be at times. But that's that's also, if you kind of reverse engineer what you just said, that's also why house flippers create the value they do. Yes. Because they're, they're outlaying that cash over a short period of time, taking that risk and then selling you the finished home so that you can then make that single purchase without having... I mean, we, we also know somebody who bought a million dollar home on acreage and is planning on taking the next year to fix up. Wow. In that scenario, there just is no new construction home that's right. to, to be able to, to do a better value. But that, that's just interesting when you said that. I was like, huh, that, that actually just kind of legitimately rolls out the value creation process of house renovation. Well, and that's what, you know, we had like 15 plus showings on our home in 10 days. And everybody who walked in the door said the same thing. This home is turnkey. We had multiple people people yep. say, I wouldn't change a thing. It's all mm-hmm. done. And that's what helped us attract a, uh, the right selling price for it is that we kept it up. When the inspector went through it, he was walking out and talking to the buyer and I was there and he goes, I said, seriously, how did this home do? And he goes, this was like a brand new home. That's what people want most of the time. They don't yep. want to walk in and fix a single thing. And so- Yeah, the house that, the house that we're in now, there were structural decisions that we had to be okay with of some of the bedroom sizes are just going to be what they're going to be or the layout. But in terms of livability, Right. It made it very easy to say, yeah, we don't have to do anything. Like just bring the furniture. We are in the final stages of finalizing the deal on a new construction home in our area. And we are super thrilled. This is this is airing on uh, like Monday. So if there's anything secret that you don't want to get out. No, there's nothing. They know. Everybody knows. We're we're, we're just, you know, we don't want to jinx it, but it's looking good. And that's (laughs) we like that. We like that idea of new construction. And it helps me stay true to my (laughs) to my training. Why, exactly why new right. can be used most of the time, right? Yeah, that's that's it. Thanks for sitting down. Uh, we'd go longer, but but I know where to find you if we need to get you on a third time. So hey, I love uh, it, Kevin. This is this is always a treat, and I listen to all of your podcasts. And what's great is when I'm driving down the road listening to podcasts, and then you call me, and I'm like, hey, I'm listening to you right now. <laughs> this is super. weird. I have noticed that actually you call me more frequently from your car than you ever have. So I'm imagining it's kind of the reverse. You're hearing my voice and then you're like, oh yeah, there's that other question. I Maybe that's it. Oh, this is a great idea. (laughs) No. Hey, um, love what you guys are doing. Keep up the great work and I'll tune in for your following 54 episodes. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Good luck. Glad you're not homeless. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see you, man. See ya. And we're back. We're going to hop straight away into the answers from our previous question of the week, which was... Which was, how often do you meet with sales leadership? And then we also had a cool major prize. What does your regular interaction with sales leadership look like? You know what? I need to total up these numbers so that we yeah, can Yeah, you total up the numbers and I'll nice uh, run through the comments that we had. Beth Ann, which I didn't know your name was Beth Ann. I thought it was just Beth, but Beth Ann said, <laughs> VP of sales and marketing pretty much daily via email and text, mm-hmm. weekly meetings as needed when I'm remote. It'll be video calls scheduled as well. Ooh, going remote. I knew that. 
to. I'm just pretending to be surprised. Regional sales managers and I have a bi-weekly call set up to address concerns and refocus marketing efforts. Monthly marketing budgeting meeting with all of us as well. All right, I'm going to break this one down a little bit. This is interesting to me. So VP of sales and marketing, like the the main top person here, daily via email and text, weekly meetings as needed. Uh, that one is surprising because you would think with the sales managers, that would be more of the weekly routine and the VP maybe less so, but that is company specific. And I mean, Beth, your VP of sales and marketing is an all-star, so I get it. Um, but the monthly marketing budgeting meeting is also interesting in that I would not recommend is a weird word, but I think that one's interesting is if you're the leader of your department, the budgeting meeting and getting people who are not understanding of the metrics and how you do things. In your case, Beth, it's working great for you, but that could be a danger zone if a sales manager comes in that meeting or the CFO comes in and is like, well, my sister said that, you know, we don't need to spend so much money on Facebook anymore. I don't know why I changed my voice to whatever that was, but (laughs) (laughs) my my sister says that Facebook is, is not good anymore. So why are we doing that? I want more billboards. It just seems like potentially that could be a monthly meeting that that could lead to monthly ulcers. Yes. Um, I agree. Yes. Yeah. Like, don't talk about that B word. Yeah. You know, get approval of the budget up front. And then the main thing that you want to do is be communicating the results of that investment and talking about how you're helping specific projects. The the budgeting like review part is a little bit like, uh, I don't know, Mm. but good, good job replying back. Amanda. So we have a weekly sales meeting where we discuss events, competition, specs, etc. So you're part of the overall sales meeting, it sounds like. Again, I would I would highly recommend a separate time where sales and marketing are meeting together, but it's about the marketing end of the funnel, not the, you know, just higher level and marketing focused as opposed to being part of the sales meeting just for just for focus. Mm -hmm. And then Carrie says, I meet formally on a weekly basis with VP of sales and marketing, both online salespeople and the sales manager. We discuss Google Analytics, OSC Analytics, walk in traffic numbers, make our plans for promotions, events, eblast, realtor marketing, and other. Whoa, there's a see more button. Keeps going. Keeps going. Uh, we discuss upcoming communities, any issues we have with other departments on a day. So that's all uh, once a week, which again, I, I would encourage if, if this sounds something like what you're doing, where you're meeting with a lot of people, the data stuff that is important for the marketer, not necessarily for everyone else. That's where a dashboard or some other thing can help because you don't necessarily need to review the specifics with everyone in terms of analytics yep. and each one of those smaller parts. You can talk at a, at a higher level and be more strategic and how can I help you? Um, on a daily basis, we are in close communication about any and all areas. We're in a small space and we make use of the generous open door policy. So that is what I, I think sounded great about a lot of these was just the constant flow of, of information and feedback. And we talk a lot about with our builder partners and amongst ourselves of that's the beauty of digital is you can move and adjust. You don't have to wait for the next print cycle of something or, you know, uh, you don't have to pay an exorbitant or oftentimes any fee to change the creative or the amount of money you're spending on a campaign. And so that constant flow is critical. But then so is a dedicated time where you're talking about marketing and sales from a higher level standpoint and particularly how marketing can help support sales. Any any other thoughts, Becca, on your end, particularly when you were at a builder, kind of how the flow would work? Yeah. So like weekly when the numbers would come in, so we would go through the numbers on Monday mornings and talk about all the leads that were generated, where they are in the funnel with the OSC, and then all the sales that happened over the previous week. So I'd talk about that with the sales director, and then she would bring it up with you know the production meeting and then also the sales meeting talking about, hey, we're generating X amount of leads for y'all. Let's make they're making their way through the funnel. Make sure you're, you know, whatever sales training stuff she did. I was in the room, but it didn't really apply to me. So I was mostly thinking about marketing things. But every week we would talk about the funnel, what was happening in the funnel and where we needed to adjust. And then she would bring it to the sales agents and very high levelly just explain we're bringing you leads. You got to work them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. At the end of the day, that is, I think, the the quagmire, the quicksand that's lurking around all of this is you do need to keep a lot of different people in the company informed and updated generally about how marketing is contributing. But, you know, and this also this question of the week was somewhat prompted by uh, someone that we work with who just had emailed me the question of here's what our current sales and marketing meeting agenda looks like. Here's who's there. What do you think? And I was like, whoa, because what they were describing was, you know, right now I come 
come into the sales meeting, like was mentioned in, in the Facebook group. And we kind of go around the horn and we ask each salesperson, hey, what do you think is working well? What, oh, you know, gosh. and a lot of, what do they think oh. drove traffic? What do oh. they think of reasons why people aren't converting? And, and yeah, that's where you're... <sighs> It's not just a positioning thing of like, you're going to be always reactive and defensive potentially about that feedback. It's also just that it's it's not, it's not a good way to do it. You know, what is good is to hear the problems that salespeople have in their yeah. own words yeah. and then figure out what marketing can do to solve that. But, you know, we wouldn't ask our dentist for feedback about how to uh, fix our bad ankle. <laughs> You know, no. it's just not how, but, but there is a lot of people out there. So it's, it's a real thing who believe that salespeople need to be directing how marketing is done. And that is also a danger, dangerous yeah, place no. to be. So no. I've never worked at a builder before. Mm-hmm. So this might be a dumb question, but I feel like it's not. Um, if you're in those meetings with individual agents, sales, sales reps, um, wouldn't there be like, say 30% of them, 40, 50, maybe even higher that you're like, okay, I cannot like their feedback doesn't, does not count. I'm a smile be nice, but like, no, like doesn't really matter what they say. Uh-huh. And so wouldn't that those meetings, like I'm sure the person listening is like, yeah, that's, that's me. That's exactly me. Like that seems quite inefficient use of time to like have to go through this. And then okay. I'm sure there's emails yep. after the fact where like, Hey, I told you this, like, I don't know if you've made any changes yet, but I just had someone come in and they really don't like that. And you're like, okay, that has nothing, nothing to do with marketing. I didn't pick a product or whatever the situation is. Um, how would you get around that? Or can you even change that if you're the marketer to be like, so half the meetings wasted on listening to feedback that we'll never ever use, but we're going to do it to make them feel good. Sometimes that feedback is surprising because there may be a disconnect between uh, what the builder spec'd out as the product versus what people actually want. And so when you talk to the sales agents, yes, that's not super relevant data for marketers, but it's also relevant because you're looking at what you're actually getting and do you need to talk to product mm-hmm development to kind of fix stuff a little bit. I completely agree with you, Becca. What's strange about, I think where you were, one of the pieces you were hitting on there, Andrew, was the efficiency of it. Yeah. And what actually is the most efficient way I have found is to have more one-on-one meetings than that group meeting. Yes. So for you, gotcha. the marketer, it is less efficient because you're going to end up spending potentially much more time in total talking to salespeople. But mm-hmm. one-on-one, that's when they're being more honest with you. And you can, again, I've, yeah. I've, I think I've mentioned this before. You're like, okay, it's just us. I'm not going to tell your boss. I'm not going to tell the CEO. But how many people do you really see a week? Yeah. Well, I see 15, but only eight of them ever will talk to me at all and only two of them I can get to fill out the cart. And you're like, okay, so, but like just between you and I, again, <laughs> there are people coming in. Uh, yeah, no, there are. I just, I can't, I don't know what to do next. I feel like I'm, I'm going crazy. Uh, I'm not, you know, maybe I'm the problem, I but that's, that's when you can have a more honest conversation gotcha. and provide more direct help and get more feedback. That is a surprising thing about sales meetings in general. And the number of times when I go and visit a builder on site and I'm, and I try to, if possible, be part of that sales meeting meeting, both to give some value to the salespeople and, and how things work now and what's going on, but also to see how they're running the sales organization. And I can just tell you, sales meetings where they take turns going around the room, talking as a group about what is happening in their neighborhood and their prospect, you can just look around and see that 90% of the room is checked out, couldn't care less, either because they think that salesperson is crazy or it's just not relevant to them. And <laughs> they're crazy. And then when you ask the sales leader, you say, okay, when do you meet one-on-one with these salespeople? Oh, I, I, I don't see them all every week. Mm. And that same, same thing is true for sales leadership is getting to see someone on a weekly basis is just, I think, critical uh, from a coaching perspective, but also from really understanding what, what's going on. Uh, those group meetings, while they feel efficient for the leader, they actually end up being inefficient for you and inefficient for everyone else who has to wait their turn. Gotcha. Yeah. How often would you say those one-on-ones should be held like the marketing? With marketing? Uh, mm-hmm. So with sales, I think they should be weekly with their sales manager. On the marketing end, I think minimum of once a quarter, the marketer should be in the field, ideally, because it's also an excuse to get out of the office and to go see everything. Yeah. A minimum once a quarter, a face-to-face with each salesperson. That's that's minimum. And then if the community is struggling, it's probably going to be monthly. Yeah. So I would, cool. I did it monthly, but I also brought my camera out. So if you need mm-hmm. photos, bring your camera out 
and take what you need while you're there. Man, the efficiency. I like it. Mm -hmm. Get the photos all at the same time. Beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Without going too much longer on this, I think just kind of breaking down the ideal amount of interaction would be that the higher the level of the individual, you know, the the least regular interaction you would need. So in, and again, we've got people of all different sizes, organizations listening, but you know, 200 to 500 home a year builder, if you're a marketing manager and you're not the VP of sales and marketing, you're probably going to meet with the VP once a week, uh, maybe once every other week. And it shouldn't necessarily need to be more than an hour. If it does, then you've got dashboard and other reporting and, and analysis issues that it should just shouldn't be that hard. Um, and then I would be involved in the sales meetings as often as possible, but not necessarily as anyone saying anything. Just be present for the time before, yeah. the time after, and to listen and gain insight. But don't let them make you continue to always do a five or 10 minute update. In a group setting, we recommend that for online salespeople. A marketer, I would not recommend uh, that that setup just because again, like Angie, you were saying, weird questions from weird perspectives <laughs> that just don't need to <laughs> yeah. be done in Gets a group off setting. track. Yeah. <laughs> and then one-on-one, a minimum, minimum quarterly, I don't think monthly is awesome if you can make it happen. And then monthly for sure, if it's a struggling neighborhood, because you're going to need to be continuing to have those private, intimate conversations with the sales leaders and the salespeople on site to, to make sure that what you changed last month is having an impact or not. And here's the quick numbers. Um, 65% voted weekly, 26% voted daily, 9% voted monthly, and then no one voted quarterly as far as how often are they meeting? Yeah, with sales leadership, with sales was, leadership. The, was the question specifically, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so, so weekly, not just salespeople, but, but leadership. Yeah, weekly <laughs> is what I would have expected to, to win, but it's it's interesting to get the, the hard numbers and facts there. All right, so we got to pick a winner here. Major um, prize. Yeah. And instead of, I think Beth gave the most context and, and all that, but I'm just going to move my finger around here and just stop. And I am pointing at Amanda. So Amanda, Sweet. congratulations. Uh, you are going to win two, not one, but two t-shirts oh, man. from the Marketproof Marketing Do you convert t-shirt shop on Amazon, as well as a $50 Amazon gift card. What? So I'll be reaching out to you Amanda. via the Facebook group. Out of Virginia. That cool. Yeah, headed over to you. Awesome. All right. Let's talk about what's this week's question of the week. This week's question of the week is what project management tool do you use? Awesome. So what do you use to keep yourself organized? Uh, I know some people out there use, um, I, it was a Google Keep. What's the Google's uh, note-taking kind of organizational tool? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't use it. I need to. Yeah, don't we know. don't use it all. Keep. Yeah, that's one. Um, note-taking yep. service. Yeah. It's like yep. an extension. Uh, there's Trello. There's Basecamp, there's Excel, there's uh, what's some other ones that we've been good asked old fashioned to... piece of paper. There's oh, yeah, no, notebook. No. I think that's no fair. paper. It's not a good, that's Here's not a my tool. rule with paper it is paper only works if you promise that it is always on you at all times and it's always oh, yeah. up to date. I can't tell you. I think I've again uh, now 54 episodes in, I'm, I need to stop apologizing for maybe repeating myself. I can't tell you the number of times I go and I meet with someone and I ask what their process is for keeping track of what they need needs done and they show me a tablet of paper oh, and then I look at them and I smile and I say, is it all on there? And is it accurate? And do you keep it with you? And they all just start laughing and they're like, no, no. I'm like, so it's really all in your head? Yeah. Oh, that's, well, that's That good. doesn't work. You're like, what do you yep. need to do no. on Friday? So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fun um, one. That, that's a lot of choices. Yeah. I feel like we won't do a poll on that yeah. one. That, no, well, we can, but feel free to add in your own yeah. choices okay. and answers on there as well, uh, depending on how we end up doing that. So that'll, uh, that'll take us out. Half of the Do You Convert team is going to be in San Francisco next week for 40 Under 40 and PCBC. So we may, may not have a new episode. We'll see how things roll out. But for published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook. Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. Have a fantastic extra long weekend and we'll see you next time. See you next time. See ya.